Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Open Data Institute. My name is Anna Scott. I'm head of content here, and I'm delighted to introduce Sanjay Joshi to talk today about his platform SoGive, which helps people to document ch uh, impact within the charity sector. Um, if you'd like to join the conversation online, the hashtag is ODI Fridays. And for those of you watching online, if you have a question, you can tweet it uh, with the hashtag ODI Fridays for us to ask at the end. Okay, over to you. Thank you very much, Anna. So, uh, my name is Sanjay, and I'm uh, uh, co-founder and CEO of SoGive, which I'm going to talk about uh, for a bit now. Um, but um, before I do that, <coughs> I'm going to talk about, uh, and, you know, there's probably some people here who are quite interested in data, so we will talk about data, and there are probably some people here who are quite interested in charities, so we will talk about charities. Um, but before that, um, we're going to talk about milk. Uh, so uh, one of the things that you sometimes see with um, politicians being, like, challenged about whether they're, like, uh, they're, they're down with the kids and, like, have a... A, uh, like a, a, a touch with what's going on in the real world is do they know the price of a pint of milk? Um, so I'm going to ask you the very same question now, but I'm going to maybe make it a little bit easier by only giving you one of these options and saying you have to choose the nearest one. Um, now, uh, this is just like an ordinary pint of milk now, not like some diamond-encrusted weird milk. Like, this is just standard pint of milk. Does anybody think this is a hard question? 50 pence, 5 pounds, 50 pounds, etc. Okay, like, I think nobody thinks this is a hard question. So, <clears throat> let's move out of the realms of milk and now think about charitable outcomes. Uh, is, it as, um, is it as easy in that context? Well, we all got the 50 pence right, I think. Um, but if we, here we have a bunch of other charities. And so I'm going to ask you uh, the same question. So um, I'm also going to give you a little bit of information about each charity. And I'm going to try and like, make the amount of information that I give you probably a little bit more than the average amount of information that the typical donor has when they donate. Uh, and bear in mind that it's really quite common for donors to make donations to charities uh, on the basis of, oh, it's going to charity. That's enough information for me. So I think I'm going to give you a bit more information than that. And then we'll see whether you feel like you know the answer to the question. So Project Healthy Children, what does this charity do? They um, enable children in the developing world to get access to um, better nutrition. And they do this by helping governments and large companies with the fortification of staples like rice or flour or whatever, um, and including uh, folic acid or vitamins or minerals in them. Uh, so uh, how much does it cost for one child to essentially get a sort of cunning equivalent of vitamin tablets for a year? Um, uh, so if you're watching this online, you can maybe guess quietly to yourselves for people in the room would anybody like to hazard a guess? Guess a fiver. Five pounds, any other guesses? 50. 50. Okay, I'll give you the answer. Um, it was actually a trick question. Um, so I said 50p over here, but actually that's like really quite substantially overstating the cost. Um, it's more like about five pence, uh, but I just couldn't fit five pence on here. 
So um, we, we, we have to go with 50p as the closest uh, that's all the options available. Okay, so the next one is Make-A-Wish Foundation. The Make-A-Wish Foundation provides special days and special experiences for people who, children especially, who have um, a terminal illness. Uh, and the, uh, that experience could be, for example, um, like a special day out, the opportunity to feed sea turtles, uh, maybe meet an actor, something like that. Um, would anyone like to guess uh, how much that might cost? You mean on average? Yes, on average. So this is the cost on average. I'll go with 500 because I'm spreading my price. <laughs> so we've got one guess of 500 over here. Another one saying 50. Another 50. Okay, the correct answer is uh, 5,000. I mean, actually, it's probably a little bit more than that, more like six or 7,000. Uh, in actual fact, uh, the next one is Samaritans. Samaritans provides um, an emotional support service for people who are distressed or despairing, um, especially those who are suicidal, mostly through their phone helpline, but also uh, with an email service, an SMS service, face-to-face uh, -face and a few other ways. Uh, and they aim to alleviate distress and despair, uh, and especially they hope that uh, through that they will reduce the rate of suicide. Um, would anyone like to hazard a guess about how much that costs for one call to Samaritans? Someone saying fiver. Any other guesses? Fifty pounds is a, uh, from the person who said fifty pounds for everything else. Um, <laughs> okay, so good guess. Uh, it was in fact a fiver. Um, so that, that's very good. Actually, it's more like four pounds, but like five pounds is you know, good enough. Uh, and last one is the Centre for Criminal Appeals. Um, so this charity works specifically around um, uh, wrongful imprisonment. So they identify people who they think might be wrongfully imprisoned, and then they ensure that those people get extra legal support to try and overturn those wrongful, wrongful convictions. And they think this is a good thing, partly because somebody being wrongfully imprisoned is uh, an intrinsic bad thing, but also because the actual perpetrator is at large, um, and so these, this is a good thing in their opinion. Um, what about this cost here? Again, 50 pence, 5 pounds, 50 pounds, 500, 5,000, 50,000, which do you think is the nearest? 50 pounds, 50, yeah. So we've got a guess here that anything with lawyers is probably going to be expensive. This is uh, a, a very valid point. 50,000 pounds is, in fact, the correct, the closest answer. In fact, it's probably, if anything, closer to 100,000 uh, pounds. So 50,000 is the closest that we have here. So um, what I'm hoping to illustrate here is that while this task just to the correct order of magnitude would be easy if it was a pint of milk or um, a brand new but not luxury car or a holiday in the Maldives or whatever, or a brand new computer. It would be easy for all of those things. Um, with charitable giving, with the things that you're actually making happen with your donations, this is hard. So why is that? Well, <clears throat> I'm going to introduce the concept that I give the snappy name, funder beneficiary separation. Um, so what we have on this slide here is uh, if you're talk talking about buying a thing like a pint of milk, then the person who buys it is also the person who benefits from it. And in the world of charitable giving, we have a person who pays for it and than a person who receives the benefits. And those are not the same person. 
So there's actually lots of different implications of this. It means that donors are not very price sensitive when they're making their donations. Uh, they're leaving the, uh, um, the impetus towards cost effectiveness and effectiveness towards the, the, the charity or the nonprofit themselves. And also, it has another implication, um, which is that from the, the donor's perspective, from the funder's perspective, there is a disconnect in their experience as well. So this situation is necessary for work that needs to be philanthropically funded, but it has negative consequences for the beneficiaries because of the lack of focus on cost effectiveness. It has negative consequences for the donor, for the funder too, because of the fact that it feels like a black hole. Uh, my favourite quote on this one is, the last time I gave £10 to charity, uh, the only thing I knew afterwards was that I was £10 poorer. So this is the, the, a common donor experience. So um, I think lots of people in this room can empathise with that donor experience, um, but what does this mean for beneficiaries? Um, so a uh, sneak preview here, I'm actually using some data that is from the SoGive database uh, before having told you what the SoGive database is or anything like that. But Fear not, I will come to that. Um, so on this chart, each of these dots represents a charity. Um, so uh, on the x-axis over here, uh, it's labelled slightly confusingly as log of the number of beneficiaries that can be reached with £1 million. Um, what that basically means is if you go further up this way, um, it becomes cheaper. And basically, all other things equal, cheap is good, because we like cost-effectiveness. Uh, in the same way that all other things being equal, uh, if you were buying a car or a pint of milk, you would prefer it to be cheaper, uh, everything else kept constant. Um, so that's what that, that means. And then on the y-axis here, we're saying uh, this is a rating of how good is that, uh, is that thing. And what this chart is trying to capture is when we're talking about or thinking about a charitable donation, the way that Sogir believes that we should look at it is much the same way as you would when you're buying a thing for yourself. How much does it cost to get the thing? And what do I get for my money? How good is the thing? Now, at the moment, for reasons that I can expand on later if people are interested in, um, we don't have particularly good detailed, robust evidence about this axis. So in order to come up with this chart, I had to look at the information, read what they do, and make a subjective judgment call myself. Which means that for any one of these dots, uh, chances are quite high that if we were to like, discuss each dot, people in this room or following on the internet would have a different opinion from me. However, I suspect and we don't know this, but I suspect that the overall picture would remain unchanged. What is the overall picture? Well, it's a scattergram. The dots are all over the place. What would we want to happen? Well, ideally, what we would want is that if things are um, really cheap, then we would expect them to be doing only a little bit of good. And if things are really expensive, 
then we would expect that to justify the extra expense, they're doing much more good. What that means is we have charities that are over here, which are cheap and doing lots of good for each thing funded. And we have charities over here, which are really expensive and not doing that much good for each thing funded. The really, really mind-blowing thing is this is on a log scale. So what that means is things, the difference in cost from here to here is not that it's like two times, three times, five times more expensive. The differences in magnitude here could be hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of times more expensive from one to the next. So, and there is also uh, like echoes here with some of the commentary that's been made by people in the effective altruism movement, which some people may have heard of. Um, and so the So Give project uh, has like some links to that movement, although we, are, we, we aim to reach a broader population than effective altruists. Um, oh, so yes, we'll, we'll pick up questions at the end if yeah, that's okay. Um, okay, so, um, so this is, up until now, what we've done is look at the way that charitable giving works at the moment. And what we found is that uh, we have this funder-beneficiary separation, which means that for us as donors, we have a black hole effect and we, we often find it hard to know, like, what is, what is the cost of what I'm, what I'm buying? What's going on there? And it also means that there are inefficiencies in the charity space. And that means that more good could be done for each pound donated if only the allocations could be better. So that's the problem. What's the solution? Uh, so I'm going to suggest now that SoGive is the magic solution to all of this, by which I mean it's not magical and it's not actually the solution to all of it, only part of it. But I think that's better than nothing. So what do we have? Um, we've got SoGive in the middle here. SoGive is, like the, the, the sort of the definition of what SoGive is about, is we are a central store of data about the impact made by charities. <coughs> so um, where do we get the data from? Well, um, we have um, data from the charities themselves. Some of that we get if there's stuff that's already in the public domain, then we will source that. Uh, and we have uh, hackathons or do-a-thons happening in London twice a month where uh, volunteers get together, particularly like data-interested volunteers who like the charity sector. And then they, they go through this process of, of getting hold of this data. So that's one place that we get the data from. Uh, and where that uh, doesn't get us the data we need, then we will typically contact charities and ask them for more data. Um, there is a, another angle which we are exploring at the moment, which is looking at the ecosystem of the, the funder fundee space uh, and seeing, is there some way that we can tap into that and help that space function better um, and also uh, get access to more data from that as well. Uh, and so this is, this is kind of uh, in, in kind of alpha territory at the moment, something that we're exploring. Um, and then uh, this one here is like, uh, a, a wild and distant dream, but possibly quite exciting, um, which is maybe beneficiaries themselves could also contribute to this. Uh, there's like a mountain of complications of uh, how is that going to work, uh, conflicts of interest, lots of other things, uh, which I haven't solved yet, and so we're not doing it yet, but maybe we will do in the future. So that's where the data comes from. 
and then it gets stored here in the middle. Now, we at SoGive believe that data is useless unless it's actually used. So how do we make it used? Um, well, we are talking to and creating partnerships with um, corporates, for example. So this is, uh, if you've got a big company, maybe they provide um, the service to their employees that employees can donate to charity. Uh, and at the moment, the, typically the best feedback that they can get is, over the last year, you have made yourself 120 pounds poorer uh, and this is the name of the charity that's received your money. Uh, and uh, what we aim to do with SoGive is to outperform that quite a bit by being able to say, well, this is where your money's gone, and this is how much of that charity's impact is attributable to you and your donation. Um, and so that, that's uh, the service that we provide there. Um, private banks uh, that provide uh, financial services for high net worth individuals this is another area that we're looking at. Um, we'll also have uh, like a retail version of, of the website that ordinary individuals can use and it'll probably be useful for other people too. So um, what are the sorts of changes that I'd like to see that we at SoGive would like to see happen? Um, so I, I guess I was alluding to it just now this black hole effect is where we're at at the moment. We have this phenomenon where people see, oh, I've given money. Now what I really know is I'm, I've just, like, it's gone. This is what I know. And so the next stage is to say, let's make people more aware of the impact that's being made by their donations. Um, and that's where we're, where, where, where we're focused on at the moment. But I do think that SoGive has the potential for this data to be used um, in lots of exciting ways. So saying, um, okay, so like, I've chosen a cause area that I'm interested in. I care about education. Um, how can I find the most cost-effective education charity? Uh, well, what you'd need for that first is to have data on lots of charities that do education work. Uh, and that's what SoGive does. And so providing this sort of analysis could be really exciting and really powerful. Um, we're not doing that yet, but, uh, uh, and it's, it's hard. Uh, like there's lots of nuances and complications. Um, I would like us to do that in the future. Um, so, um, earlier when talking about that chart that you might remember, and I said on the y-axis, um, we don't know much about how good is the thing funded. We don't have good data on that. Um, let me just expand on that point a little bit now. The way that we look at data within SoGive is a sort of theory of change model. Uh, for those who are familiar with the charity sector, this is like a commonly used uh, framework. So the idea is that you start off with your, with your money and this funds uh, what we call outputs. So these are the immediate effects of the charity's work. And then those outputs might be things like counselling sessions or malaria nets or vaccinations. And those things are generally not an intrinsic good. You don't fund a vaccination because you think that it's great to just like have the idea of a needle being in someone's arm is an intrinsic good. You fund those vaccinations because of the knock-on effects. Fewer people will, will uh, get polio or whatever it might be. And so those knock-on effects are what we call outcomes. The way that we look at impact data in SoGive is that we get money on a consistent basis with the outputs. 
and the output data is often available because this sort of thing is easy to quantify. Can you count up how many counselling sessions you delivered last year? The answer a charity will typically give is, yes, I can do that. And then you can say, um, how many people uh, like, were lifted out of depression or didn't die by suicide or whatever it might be as a result of that? That's hard. And often data is simply not available. But where it is available, it's often there are lots of complications about how to draw those inferences correctly. And uh, the quality of the data is not always high. So what we do is we gather whatever data we can. But our hope is that over time, through greater visibility of this structure by more and more donors, we can help to encourage the sector as a whole to focus more on these outcomes and ultimately to get better data on those. But we're some way away from that yet. Um, so I think this slide more or less says the same as I said in the previous slide, so I'm going to, to move on. At this stage, uh, this is just uh, like a few pictures to reiterate the changes that will hopefully happen in the world as a result of so, so Gives work. So um, a greater focus on impact. Uh, research suggests that donors actually do care about impact. They want to know about the change that happens in the world as a result of their donations. So, but they don't have the appetite, typically, to say, I'm going to go onto the charity's website. I'm going to find their impact report. I'm going to download it. I'm going to read 5, 10, 20 pages. This is not normal donor behavior. So we are condensing some of that information in a bite-sized way that makes that available to people so that people can be more impact-focused. Um, we may potentially get better engagement from donors and possibly even see an increase in the amount donated to the charity sector as a result of this, perhaps. And also, one of the things that we're really interested in, uh, and I've not focused on very much in this talk, but which I think is really exciting, is the idea that uh, we would love a world in which people are open about their donations, where when I have donated, I can say to people around me, look, you know, hey, I, I found this great charity. I think it's doing really interesting work. And I decided to support them by donating this. Um, and then you can like share that with your friends and your friends can say, hey, like that's a really interesting idea. Like, why did you choose that? How did you come upon that idea? And also, great. That's great that you've done that. Congratulations. Well done for supporting this. Um, this uh, mindset, this openness in giving is something that we think is easier to do when you're re-expressing your donation, not in terms of pounds and pence, but in terms of the change made in the world. We think that it, I might feel a bit crass if I was to say, guys, I just gave £100 to charity. But I might feel OK about it if I said, well, look, you know, here's the three girls in Zambia who are getting an education for the next month because of my donation. Uh, and this, would, this feels like a legitimate thing to be proud of and to engage with discussion about with, with the people around you. So. This is a summary of the sorts of changes that I'm hoping to see happen uh, in the way that donor behaviour works and the charity sector works uh, as a result of So Gives work. Um, there's lots that could be said, but I'm going to pause now and maybe open it up to questions. If you could wait for the mic, that would be really good so that the people around can hear. Any questions? Well, it's the data bit. <laughs> <laughs> Just a quick question about the 
database, you can yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, so uh, we... Yeah, so this is an interesting question. The question is whether um, the data is freely available. Uh, our original plan was, look, this is clearly like a great asset. We should obviously make it open data. Um, and actually, this is an area which we're, we're kind of thinking carefully about at the moment. Uh, the reason for that is we're unsure as to some of the unintended consequences of making the data openly available. So we think that there is a potential for the data to be overly simplistically interpreted. So for example, people could look at the data and say, oh, I'll just race to the cheapest thing. But actually, the right way to look at it is not what's cheapest, but rather two questions, how much does it cost and what do I get for my money? It's those two things together that that should be driving donor decision making. Uh, we are making a data product out of it. Yes, exactly. Yes. So um, when we spoke about creating a platform that can be used uh, for in corporates and indeed for private banks, but also for individuals can just find it on the internet. That is a data product that makes, it, in a sense, it does make the data openly available, um, but not in a kind of download a spreadsheet and you can play with it sense, but more in a sort of for any data item that you want to be interested in, you can find it um, through our interface. So if I would go home now, can I just access the database or not? Uh, in a month's time, in you will be able time. to access the database okay. if you go to your home or anywhere else and right. find the SoGive website. Okay. So you're building whatever, an API or whatever. Or how do yeah, I get it? A CSV files? Or? Uh, yeah, so it'll also manage donations as well. So we've got like payment providers in the back end. So if you want to make donations, you can find the information uh, and also make donations as well. Hi, Sanjay. I'm Steve. Um, one observation and one question, really. I think one of the most successful fundraising charities in the UK is the Royal National Lifeboat Institution. Yep. And they give very good feedback to their donors, not in terms of exactly how the individual's money has been spent, but the types of costs they experience, how much it costs to man yep. a boat, to buy a boat, and so on. So that's the observation. They're very good at raising yep. money. Uh, the question to you is, do you think you will ever be able to tally one person's donation to a very specific outcome? Do you think you're going to ever yeah. get to that yeah. level of correlation, if yeah. you like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'll just address the first observation, first of all. The observation being that uh, you know, there are some charities that, that give very good cost information already. Uh, and that's true, and that varies a lot over the sector. And I'll also add that there's two types of cost information that they could have. One of them is the SoGive style cost information, which is X pounds buys you Y lots of an outcome. Um, and this is essentially valid, although there may be inconsistencies from one charity to the next in terms of how they've done the cost allocations. And there's another type of cost information that charities provide. In their defense, they do this because donors ask for it, but I'm going to suggest that it's not a very helpful way of looking at charity effectiveness. What I'm talking about here is how much is spent on admin. So this is a widely asked question. It's a question that many intelligent people ask. Uh, intelligent people who have not spent a very long time in the charity sector uh, ask this question. Um, but I bring that comparison back to the way that we look at uh, uh, charitable giving in SoGive, 
when you are buying a pint of milk or a smartphone or a, a car, I don't think anybody here says, well, but how much of uh, that £5,000 for this car is spent on the admin at Toyota? Um, how, much, how many people will go to their uh, car phone warehouse and say, oh, but like, how much does Samsung pay its CEO? These are not questions that we ask. Um, the, what we care about is what SoGive cares about. How much does it cost overall? And what do I get for my money? Um, so that's just response to your observation. Then your next question, uh, which I've already forgotten, I'm sorry, could you repeat it? Whether, how, whether you can ever tally donations directly. Okay, to good question. So uh, the question is, can we uh, have a direct link between my donation and this outcome? So we spent quite a bit of time uh, earlier in the process of uh, creating SoGive on this question. One idea that we thought about but rejected was saying, could we use blockchain or some sort of technology like that to say, let's follow my pound note right through to the ultimate outcome? The reason why we decided not to follow that route was twofold. One, we thought that it's going to uh, give a false sense of the way that we look at charities. So um, the true way of looking at things is what sometimes gets called a full cost recovery basis. What that means is, while we might follow my pound note, and my pound note might end up, uh, I don't know, like funding uh, like a, a portion of the salary of the councillor or whatever, and we might say, oh good, I feel good about that. I like councillors doing it, I want to fund that. Um, what we're missing in that story is, well, actually, uh, that councillor works in an office which needs to have rent paid and has a manager and uh, needs toilet paper when that councillor goes to the toilet and, uh, you know, like has to have an accountant in the building in order that they can have a functioning organisation that can enable them to do their work. And if you don't see all of those things, then you might feel good about it, but actually you're missing part of the picture. And we risk the situation where donors flock to fund the sexiest things and don't fund the things that are actually essential and matter. Um, so that way of looking at things focuses attention on very specific cost areas and is, is an incorrect view because the true cost takes into account all of those extra bits of overheads. Oh. I love what you do, by the way. I, I like the virtue signaling bit at the end. Um, going back to the, the data that you had, uh, the, the charity world is incredibly diverse and complex. Yep. How would you compare the, the cost benefit of providing uh, a very discretionary type of charity benefit, such as human rights, yep. versus what the Gates Foundation does with yep. the cost per pill to solve the malaria tablet? Yep. And how would you, would you put that into one standardized data table yep. that makes it even relevant to compare those two? Yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. a follow-on question to that is, if you look at the economics of what the Gates Foundation have done vis-a-vis -vis the Valeria tablets, the cost of capital to get that price per intervention down to almost nothing was about £2 billion with £2 billion leveraged off, I think it was GlaxoSmithKline. Right? So it's broadly those kind of numbers. Yeah. How, how would you then separate that data when people say want to give money to say the Gates Foundation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good question. So the first question is how do we enable comparisons between charities doing really sometimes radically different things? And the answer is at the moment we don't. Um, so we, uh, we deliberately 
create the front end in a way that it makes it not very easy to do direct comparisons. I mean, a user of the website could like go to one charity page, find the information, and uh, like put down the information, maybe take a note of it, go to the next one and take a note of that as well. Um, but we don't, at the moment, have something that easily says, look, here, here's different charities, here's a, a comparison service to enable you to choose between them. Uh, and the reason why we do that is because it's hard, uh, as, which is really the observation that's at the heart of your question. Um, I would like us in the future to do that, and I think we can do that, and I think our data will be helpful with that, but it's a part of the story, and further analysis would be need to be added on. Uh, so that is definitely a good, valuable thing for us to do, but I think it's something for the future for us. Um, so we tackle it one step at a time. So one thing that we could do is pick a specific cause area first and then say, within that cause area, let's try and find uh, the best option that we can within that. Once we've done that, then when we're comparing one cause area to the next, we've broken the problem down into something easier because we can find the best one or few charities in that space. And then we're comparing that with the best in a different cause area. It will still be hard. Uh, but it will be easier because of the steps that we've taken. Did I answer your question? No, it makes it logical answer. It's just that philosophically speaking, yeah. uh, it's quite hard to compare those two data sets. Yes. So I understand what yeah. your approach is, but it makes perfect yeah. sense. Great. And you're, you're reiterating that, the, that it is hard, and I agree. I actually had exactly the same question as your first question, so good question. Um, but then the follow-up one, say that it's possible to compare outcomes and that we find that it's more effective um, to buy school books than to provide vaccinations. Isn't there a risk that then we focus only on education and not on health anymore? So you know, how, how do you keep yeah, the balance yeah, yeah. between the... Because I guess you need all different parts to work together to be effective. Yeah, so uh, this question, uh, uh, like once we find that something is more cost-effective than something else, then might donors flock to the more cost-effective one? Um, well, so at a first order, I'm, I'm really kind of okay with that outcome, right? I mean, if it really is more cost-effective, then like, more, more good outcomes are happening. However, there are potential, there are potential knock-on... And so, so I think also we've got to look at this, we've got to define what are the, what are the implications of what SoGive does uh, and how, like, it, it varies depending on the size of our influence. So if we never Im influence more than a few million pounds worth of donations a year, and bear in mind, like, the UK alone uh, has, uh, like, about 10 billion pounds worth of donations from individuals and several billion more um, from other sources. So if we're relatively small within that context, then we will not, like, like radically change things to result in certain areas being underfunded. However, what if, and I, I feel like this, is, this would be a pretty good problem to have, uh, and I'm, uh, I'm like, I feel like I'm being overly optimistic and worrying about this problem. However, what if SoGive's influence uh, extends to cover uh, like 70% of all of the donations made by everybody uh, in the UK or the world? In that world, then, uh, it would have to revolve, involve much more sophisticated analysis to make sure that things are being correctly managed. So 
if um, item A is more cost effective than item B and everybody flocks to item A, its cost effectiveness will start reducing because room for more funding considerations apply and uh, a few other factors come into play. So if we really did have that much influence, then we would have a responsibility to um, we would have a responsibility to make sure that we're correctly monitoring all of those things. We're a really long way away from that, so I'm not worried about that yet, but I think that these are risks that can be managed. Um, okay. Oh, a question on YouTube. Yeah, okay, hang on. So this question is coming from Dan Cunningham, and he says, how can you concisely share impact when it can be very complicated, e.g. reforestation, simple measure as trees planted, varies between uh, $0.10 cents and $5 per tree? Okay. Yes. Okay, great. Um, so uh, this variation, um, $0.10 cents per tree, $5 per tree, um, the, lots of that variation comes from looking at different organisations doing the work and they have different methods of doing it. So if we look at uh, a particular organisation then we would be able to narrow down that range a little bit more. Even then that organisation might be doing, doing like different things, uh, there might be a bit of variation from one area of that organisation's work to the next. So, uh, the, but it would be much narrower. So there we can either, uh, depending on how, how that variation happens, if it's essentially one item of work just being done in slightly different ways in slightly different places, we can average out all of those between the different items of work. Alternatively, if we have one organisation doing tackling the same problem in different ways, then we can identify different projects of work within the same organisation and identify a specific project and do it on a project-specific basis. Um, so uh, hopefully that answers uh, Dan Cunningham's question um, uh, uh, in case uh, that doesn't answer his question, I might just add a little bit more, um, which is um, we would be able to show this is the amount uh, uh, of money uh, in terms of uh, like how much the person's donated. This is the amount of outputs attributable to that charity. This is the amount of uh, like, you know, trees planted um, based on the calculations that are specific to that organisation. And then... We might go on, if we have the data, which we often don't, to be able to say, well, we care about trees because, for example, this is the number of uh, tonnes of CO2 that are averted, um, and this is what we care about, and so then we, we include those there, uh, where we have them. Uh, also noting and remembering that uh, the quality of the data here is generally pretty good, and here generally uh, less good. Great. Any Hi, my name is Richard. I work with a tech co-op and I uh, have an ex-charity background. Um, I'm interested in how you'll sell this to charities because um, picking up on somebody else's comment about yeah. like, different sectors work. Say, for instance, you've got um, a charity that works on reducing gender-based violence. Okay, Very hard to kind of quantify the outcomes out of that. And then you've got a charity that does vaccinations. Very presumably much more easy to measure. Yeah. The first charity, you, you mentioned encouraging people to, uh, encouraging a situation where maybe more donations go towards the vaccinations. Yeah. Yeah. How would you get charities on board knowing they're entering this very competitive space where 
things which are incredibly hard to quantify yeah, yeah. is going to basically mean that potentially that they're going to lose donors yeah. to the vaccination charity. I mean, it seems yeah, to yeah, me yeah. quite a, yeah, yeah, a yeah. risky sell so for them to be involved. I, in. What I can say honestly is uh, at the moment, there is definitely no competition element in there at all. Like we don't make it easy for comparisons to happen. As a future step, I am optimistic about our ability to say within a specific cause area, like you know vaccinations or whatever, um, we can do use our data to make comparisons between different organisations. I feel like this. I feel optimistic about that. The next stage after that is, can we then go on to do comparisons between cause areas? Well, I'd love for this to happen, but this is hard, and I would be very. I, I mean, I. I I wouldn't be surprised if we never get there. So uh, I think, therefore, I can quite honestly say to charities, you're unlikely to have uh, much downside or risk uh, unless you are like uh, performing poorly within your space, uh, which ch most charities believe that they're not, right? Um, and then uh, what we can say also very honestly is donors care about impact. And we're making it easy for donors to see the impact of the donations in a way that engenders pride. And this is a positive thing from the donor's perspective. We also aim to harness the donor's interest in caring about and, uh, and, and promoting their own charitable interests. So this is a mechanism for donors to get their friends on board as well. So there is certainly potential upside from, from the charity's perspective. In the longer term, if they are a poorly performing charity, then there might be downside as well. Sanjay, it strikes me you've got quite a unique and consistent insight into how charities publish data about their impacts, whether it's outcomes or, or impact. Do you have any advice for them? What are the tr a, what are the trends you're seeing amongst sort of different types of charities doing that? B, do you have advice for them? And C, sorry, um, are you in the business of maybe establishing some sort of standard at some point? Oh, wonderful question. Okay, so um, what, uh, what I do see at the moment is uh, in annual reports and accounts, which is like the, the first place that I typically go to, uh, we typically do have good information on this, not such good information on this. Um, what... I would hope for and really want from charities is not so much for more work to happen in putting out this outcomes information, which is the information we really care about. I'd, I'm hoping for a prior step first, which is really taking the time to say, how do we build this way of thinking into the way that we operate as a charity? And say, what do we actually care about? We do this work in order to achieve these outcomes and then say, OK, let's use this sort of model, this way of thinking to help us to really get to the bottom of is the work that we're doing actually achieving this? Can we tweak or change the work that we're doing to make us achieve these outcomes better? And then once this is really built into and right in the heart of the way that charities operate, then naturally there will be better data on outcomes because the data is being used to drive the way the organisation operates. And once that is really built in, then we'll have higher quality data. And at that stage, I would love to see that data being made. Uh, and it's really been like rigorously, rigorously tested by the charities themselves because they care about making sure that they're reaching the outcomes that they care about. 
And once that happens, then I would like to see that being made publicly available um, through their own annual reports and accounts, through SoGive, so that people more widely can see uh, what's really happening. That's what I'd really hope for. Okay, brilliant. Well, I think we're just about out of time. Um, so thank you very much. Round of applause, please, for Sanjay. Um, I'm sure uh, if you have any follow-up questions, I'm sure Sanjay would be happy to answer them afterwards. And um, thank you again for joining us. You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.